Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I am your host, John Daigle, joined today by good friend in life, John Paulson. And Paulson, we are just two weeks out, if you can imagine, from veterans reporting to training camp. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm working my way through the receiver position now, doing some extra study, extra homework, uh, doing my player blurbs, my draft uh, notes that I've been posting to Twitter and to threads and to Instagram so everybody can see them and uh, kind of tweaking the rankings as I go, getting ready for a Scott Fishbowl draft, live draft on Saturday. Excited. Live draft in L.A.? Yeah, it's L.A., but it's actually orange, and that's actually the city I live in, which is in Orange County. Oh. So all the L.A. folks have to drive down, and they grumble and complain about it uh, at the draft. So that's always fun to hear them. Well, if you're participating it. in either the Orange Lie Draft or on Sunday, 11 a.m. Central Time in Chicago, the live draft, which I will be at with a bunch of friends, Andy Barons, Rob Wozniak, uh, Connor Allen will also be there, then please jump out shout out to both of us i will definitely buy you a drink if you're in chicago before we begin though we started a new segment that we are going to do for the rest of the offseason with sigmund bloom anyways last week and we're going to continue that segment today in the risers and fallers adp shifts that are happening right now on underdog and i think it's best to begin with nico collins who has seen his ADP rise in the last seven days from 130 to 123, nearly jumping around as his ADP continues to climb. So what are your thoughts as you continue to update projections in the back end for everyone? What are your thoughts on Nico Collins and this Texans offense? Well, I think, you know, heading into this uh, summer, you're looking at this receiver room and you're wondering what's happening number one, and uh, where these targets are going to go. Dalton Schultz, obviously a big addition to the tight end room, and he's going to soak up a lot of targets. So I really do think it's between Collins and Schultz to lead this team in targets. And Collins, I think, did show some flashes last year uh, with, you know, subpar quarterback play. And, uh, you know, he he's a, a, a player on the rise. So I think, you know, you look at the Texans, they're probably going to, you know, not win a whole lot of games. They're probably going to be down. They're going to probably have to throw the ball a little bit more uh, than you, than they would like to. And I think Collins would be one of the primary beneficiaries. I don't think Robert Woods is in a position to be the number one there. Noah Brown, Tank Dell. Tank Dell might be interesting from a, you know, volume standpoint if he can get in the, on the, you know, in the starting lineup on uh, in the three receiver sets at least. But, uh, you know, I think it's coming down to, to Collins and, and Schultz for that number one uh, passing uh, target in that offense. Collins started the offseason in rounds 13, 14. Um, of course, that was before Brandon Cooks was traded to Dallas. But it's someone I continue to jump on, whether or not I believe in this offense as a whole, just because I believe his situation's good. Uh, his 18.1% target per route run rate for his career with Brandon Cooks on the field actually has increased, even last season, to 25.4% with Cooks off of it. And that 25.4% rate would have ranked 11th overall, just ahead of Travis Kelsey, actually, among all players with at least 100 targets last year. So it's clearly a significant bump in opportunity that he's received without Brandon Cooks for his career. Also remember, Houston's quarterbacks, this machination of players that don't matter last season, combined for the lowest catchable pass rate of any quarterback's room. 
whereas CJ Stroud now has entered the league and Stroud led his class in catchable rate on targets both 10 yards deep and 20 yards deep. Literally the best deep ball throw of this class. And so as a one-for-one profile on the Texans offense, like the rest of their players, we have a we have a first down pontoon boat in Dalton Schultz, and then run blocking receivers the rest of the way. And Noah Brown, Jeremy Mechie, all these guys who actually didn't have good profiles to begin with. Nico Collins, a big boundary receiver where he gets downfield targets, now connecting with CJ Stroud. That's why I want to be on top of Collins and ahead of him more so than anyone else in this offense. So I do think Collins is is worth his ADP right now. Yeah, I would just add that you look at his ADP, it's wide receiver 57. I don't know that there's a, you know, assumed wide receiver one in any offense going that late in drafts. So I like to find the number one targets or, you know, in the receiver rooms in the middle, late rounds and, uh, and add them. Uh, I think you look at his rookie season, 32 yards per game last year, that bumped up to 48, uh, yards per game, uh, didn't really spike in touchdowns, but that's kind of the nature of the offense. But I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with Stroud. Like he's really going to upgrade this this passing attack, and I think that will uh, certainly help both Schultz and uh, Nico Collins. The second player underdog I want to talk about is the fallout from Alvin Kamara's recent guilty admission. Because over the last seven days, his ADP has increased slightly from 103 to 101 overall. But I think what we know now, even as New Orleans football's Nick Underhill suggested that he does not believe Alvin Kamara's suspension will be up to six games. I'm personally eyeing four games. And so what are your thoughts and what have you done with the projections based on this recent news? Well, I always go to our friend Drew Davenport to see if he's got some information or his thoughts on it. And uh, he, I retweeted a great thread of his uh, this morning that I read. Uh, and he, he landed on four to six and he thinks it's going to be four. Uh, I'm currently assuming five missed games for Kamara, and that's that's assuming four for the suspension plus one injury game, and that that has moved him from like the mid 40s because I had him like missing half the season uh, prior to this news. Uh, that's moved him from the mid 40s up to uh, 32 and half PPR, and as a result, Jamal Williams has taken a, a dip from the mid 30s or low 20s to down into the 40s because it looks like it. We will have Kamara for majority of the season. Uh, he may sit out the first month and then uh, come in, and you, then, you, then you have Alvin Kamara for the rest of the season. Now, I, you know it's a different offense. Uh, you get a different quarterback in there, and you wonder, you know, how much his role is going to change. If you have Michael Thomas back, Kamara is less likely to see a ton of targets. We've seen that in the past. So a lot of there's a lot of moving parts here with this offense, but I think you know given his current ADP and what's going to happen here and his history of scoring fancy points, uh, he may be worth a look there as you are starting to see his ADP climb. If he's still going RB 30, RB 35 off the board, then I think he's a, he's a decent to good value there who, you know, somebody who can down the stretch win you a lot of fantasy games. I've been taking a lot of Kendry Miller and best ball, but also understand that, the conversation about Miller and redraft is different. Uh, Miller, of course, a career 6.7 yards per carry at TCU in a championship-led offense last season. Um, also last year, at least one 
20-yard run, so a very explosive player, at least one of those in 12 of 14 games before he was injured. We, of course, haven't heard or seen much about Kendry Miller since he's still been recovering from that injury in January, but I expect him to be an integral part of this backfield. So how are you projecting Miller? I have him as the third uh, back. Uh, they went out and you know signed Jamal Williams to be that banger, and I think if they have Kamara and and Williams, and I don't think uh, you know Miller's going to see a whole lot of work unless he's really flashing. Uh, but at, he's got to maybe have, you know if this suspension is at four games at the start of the year, he's going to have a little audition there where he um, could see eight to ten touches per game, and if he really does well in the, in that workload, then he could see a larger role as the season wears on. I still want to draft Kamara in best ball especially since we've seen suspended players get ADP dips and it ultimately not matter since we're playing, uh, trying to play into a 17 week season. So I'm not worrying about any dips for Kamara or suspension. I'm still taking them. If we are getting an ADP discount and then just crossing my finger, he blows up in the best ball playoffs. Also remember right now, all these projections updates Paulson has talked about, my team previews that begin rolling out when training camps begin in a couple weeks, not to mention the rankings that will happen weekly, the waiver wire column, which will be coming back September 2nd, ahead of week one for everyone. You can access that now ahead of time. You can get a great discount by signing up at Vivid Picks and by depositing and thus getting 100% of your first deposit matched up to $200. You can then also get any of our subs at 44.com for just $5. It's the best deal going right now. We'll still have the early bird sale once training camp officially opens. But right now, creating that account on Vivid Picks and then getting that $5 sub at 444 before all of this starts being released in a couple weeks is absolutely the best deal. And so that's what I want everyone to do before we jump in. Let's go, though, Paulson, to our flag plants. And I understand it's June. It's the doldrums of the offseason. Everyone's on vacation except you and I, and we're still here talking football. But we've been doing this for so long now this offseason that I'm already aware of the players I'm excited to draft in home leagues because I know they're going to dip since everyone only drafts last year's stats. And so I want to start off with someone I've been hammering home and every show on this feed, friends feeds, and that's Cooper Cup. Because right now, Cooper Cup... Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase all undoubtedly have the same ceiling outcome. But Cooper Cup is the only one of those four who is not being treated as such as someone who can finish with the most fantasy points of any player at any position in 2023. And it's not fair. I have already been on a radio show in Columbus, and I mentioned about Cooper Cup being my wide receiver two overall. And they kind of laughed, which is no big deal. And they said, you think Cooper Cup can outscore Jamar Chase? When the real question should be, you think Jamar Chase can score outscore Cooper Cup? Because last year, Cooper Cup already outscored Jamar Chase. Cooper Cup was the wide receiver one in points per game last year, 18.2. He led all players in target share, 33.3% in those eight games with Matthew Stafford. Uh, we're also expecting, as I've mentioned earlier this offseason, more plays per game since last year's offense under Sean McVay was his first to average fewer than 62 plays per game. And they averaged 58 and a half, a, sub a substantial decrease from what Sean McVay's offenses have historically brung to the table. So of course, Cooper Cup can finish as the wide receiver one overall, considering he's already did that in points per game last year. I will be leaving every home league 
with Cooper Cup, knowing he's not going to be drafted in the first eight to 10 picks, because again, people use recency bias in those formats. Yeah, I mean, they're probably, you know, worried about injury or something. They're scared off by that. But he had the top uh, points per game last year, uh, 18.2 and half PPR formats. Uh, great rapport with Matthew Stafford. Uh, zero competition for targets in that offense. So, uh, yeah, I have him as my uh, number two fantasy receiver as well behind Justin Jefferson. That's my value in the first round. What about your first flag plant, regardless of the round? Yeah, I have to I, – I don't know what's going on. I. I guess I know. I, I I watch Twitter and I, you know, and now we're on threads too. And I see the Alexander Madison debate and it's it just because ongoing. And it's just, it's strange to me that for years and years and years, he was this zero RB darling. Uh, you know, you want to have this guy because if Dalvin Cook gets injured, uh, he's going to post uh, fantasy RB1 numbers and has post posted fantasy RB1 numbers whenever Dalvin Cook has been uh, hurt, but now that he's actually the starter, uh, he's a dead zone running back. You know, doesn't have any talent. Uh, it, you know, shouldn't draft him as an RB two. And I, I just think the whole thing's kind of comical. Uh, I don't care as much. I don't get into the oh, he's talented, he's not talented, or he's the greatest running back in the world, or he's not. I mean, I do like to look at the tackle breaking stats, uh, yards after contact. I think those are interesting to to kind of signal some some talent. But to me, it's t it's touches, it's workload, and I think Alexander Madison is going to see a huge uh, workload. Um, it may not be as big as the seven starts that he had from twenty one to twenty two, uh, or twenty twenty to twenty twenty one, when he averaged twenty three point three touches for one hundred and eighteen yards, zero point seven two touchdowns per game, basically mid range RB one numbers. Uh, last year, Dalvin Cook averaged seventeen point eight touches in the new offense there in Minnesota. So I think we're probably going to see something around 18 touches per game for him. And uh, he can produce low-end RB1 numbers in that sort of workload. Uh, he's done it in the past. Uh, the offense is going to be pretty good with Kirk Cousins, uh, a little pass-heavy, so he should get some receptions as well. Uh, just think that Alex Alexander Madison is like RB19 off the board. is just a, a very good value right now. I'm playing devil's advocate. It's not even about the talent. It's just the fact that in the first year, in Kevin O'Connell's offense, Dalvin Cook did get the usage in recording the third most routes run among all running backs, but he only averaged the 21st most targets per game, 3.3 among all running backs. So it's as if perhaps the passing game usage may not matter for the running backs in this offense as a whole, especially when we're now factoring in Jordan Addison to the mix, which they didn't have last year. And so that's my concern is that Madison's ceiling is lacking, not to mention that, yes, maybe it is a, a timeshare. I don't know. I guess that's what we're debating right now is, is it going to be a timeshare? Because if not, then he might get there just on touches alone. Yeah, it's a volume play. Uh, Dalvin Cook finished RB10 last year uh, in the same offense. I would you know, maybe Dalvin's a little bit better, but I don't think it's significant. The difference between the two players, it certainly hasn't uh, borne out whenever Madison has gotten the starting work. Uh, he, he, Dalvin Cook had the 13th highest points per game, and he averaged, you know, he averaged a pretty decent uh, 2.3 receptions per game. So I think, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, he's going to get, Madison's going to get four or five catches a game, but uh, there's enough passing usage there that he should be going higher than he is. My second flag plant is actually an affirmative statement. 
because Josh Jacobs will 100% be the worst first round pick in all of fantasy football this year, much like Najee Harris and we, how we understood he was the worst first round pick last year, given how he earned touches and targets and all of the changes in that offense. It's very reminiscent of Josh Jacobs season this year. First of all, only four of the running backs besides Jacobs over the last decade have seen over 390 touches like Jacobs did last year. It's not something that will happen and it won't happen again for Jacobs if we're betting on that historical oddity. Also, this offense, after seeing what he did last year, even this organization said, we don't want to give you a large deal. We don't want, we don't want you to try to follow that up. And so they're lacking the same confidence as well to bring him back and put him in that role as he has yet to receive a long-term contract extension and will likely be playing on a one-year deal instead, even though he didn't report to OTA. So we have to see that play out in training camp as well. But the usage and the history of running backs for those other four guys who did see 390-plus touches the following year, none recorded more than 237 touches the next season when they played. And so we're just already fighting an uphill battle unless you're in a league where you get to carry over Josh Jacobs' points from last season. And so it's I think it's just very clear, given the role change, given the usage, given what the organization thinks this offseason, that Jacobs is definitely not the player we got last year, and now's the time to allow your league mates to draft him instead. If I if I could play devil's advocate, just because it's fun, uh, the, the things pointing to another big season are, you know, we, maybe we're not getting as big of a season, but they did they didn't give him a long term contract, but they did they want him back on the franchise tag, so they do want the guy back. They didn't do anything at the running back position and significant note, so he's he's still going to see the the bulk of the carries and the touches, and the. Yes, there's, there's one concern I have, and I would agree with you on this, is that if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't healthy and they're running Brian Hoyer out there, quarterback or whoever, this whole offense could be a lot worse than what we saw last year, which wasn't a great offense, but it was pretty good. The The thing that does give me some encouragement, though, on the on the flip side of that is that the offensive line is really good. They have the number one uh, adjusted line yards at Football Outsiders, so he is running behind one of the best units in the league. Uh I think, you know, top five is definitely pushing it. I have him at six right now, but I'm, you know, Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard, you know, Saquon Barkley due to the contract thing below him. That might be uh, a tough tier to rank right now, given uh, everything going on with everybody's contract. I mean, Josh Jacobs is not under contract either. He, he said he would return to the team if they added talent. And they didn't really add any talent. They added a tight end in the draft. But you know, and J Jacoby Myers, but they lost their quarterback. And, you know, is he going to, is he's kind of in the same situation as Barkley in terms of whether or not he wants to sign that tender? I'm also not yet convinced as Brian Hoyer because Brian Hoyer, you know, outside of the one time Ian Book started in the COVID season is the worst quarterback we've seen in the last five years. Uh, having added Aiden O'Connell, I'm still convinced he would start if Jimmy Garoppolo's foot surgery doesn't heal in time for week one. And even that would likely be a disaster. So again, an entire offensive scheme change absolutely has me worried. This is my opinion when we first started doing research ahead of the draft in February. The issue in best ball is that as sharp as it is, especially on underdog, everyone also saw that. And so Jacobs falls to the third round and that's okay. Like it was last year, Najee Harris third round. That's okay. That was okay last year. The first round, though, in home leagues, 
absolute stop sign. You cannot do it. You have to let your league mates do it. What about your second flag plan? Uh, I can't, you know, I just behind the scenes here, I came t- uh, came today with 16 of them or 15, 15 of them. So, I, you know, I've got some guys that I like. Uh, but uh, Terry McLaren, I want to talk about him. Uh, kind of just kind of being slept on a little bit. He's uh wide receiver 23. Um, his last three years, he has uh, posted the eighth most receiving yards uh, in the league among receivers. Uh, last year, uh, among the 88 receivers with at least 30 catches, he had the 14th highest yards after contact per catch. And he had the 11th most broken tackles per reception in that subset. And he does very well in the route running, uh, metrics over at reception perception. So I think the concern here, I mean, he's got, I think he's got 3000 yard receivers, uh, seasons in a row. He went over 1100, I think a couple times. Uh, so I think the I think the concern here is Sam Howell, and this is sort of a I'm also f- planting my flag that Sam Howell is going to be a very good fantasy quarterback with his rushing ability, but I think he can also throw it. I watched all his throws in the start that he had. I think it was against the Cowboys. He hit McLaurin on a deep ball. He he threw well, and I think he's you know McLaurin might get the best quarterback play that he's had uh, in his career. I mean it's been a, kind of a rough rough go in terms of the quarterbacks he's had throwing to him over the you know his first three seasons or his last three seasons so um i think this offense this passing attack is going to be better and i think mclaurin should be going maybe around earlier than he is mclaurin has yet to finish top 20 and half ppr points per game from his career but I definitely don't blame that on him as he's also one of the best route runners. You can ask anyone, any receiver, any cornerback, any journalist in the entire league. Uh, We know that he's only seen targets so far in his career from Dwayne Haskins, Taylor Heineke, Alex Smith, Carson Wentz, Kate Keenum, Kyle Allen, Colt McCoy, Garrett Gilbert, and then last year in the final week of the season, Sam Howe. I attribute that to McLaurin's lack of success more than anything else. So I tend to agree with you. Curtis Samuel did lead this team in targets for basically two months of the year last year. And then Jahan Dotson closed with a team leading targets over the final month of the season. But if I still have to pick one, of course, I think Terry McLaurin leads this team in targets from someone I know you're ahead of in projections, ahead of consensus compared to the entire industry, Sam Howe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you listed those quarterbacks, and I just want to underline it's touchdowns is the issue. I mean, he had 1118. He was wide receiver 20 in his, uh, three years ago, or it was last year, uh, 77 for one, thousand, uh, 53 and five touchdowns wide receiver 25 and then 77 for 1191 and five touchdowns wide receiver 18. So I think what I'm doing is I'm, I limited week 18. So that might be why he did pop in the top 20 in my numbers. But the fact that he was able to, get the eighth most receiving yards in those three years combined from those quarterbacks, I think tells you, I mean, I think it speaks to his talent. And if he gets decent, just average quarterback play, uh, he could break out even further. All right. I've given two top end guys statements. So I'm going to start slipping back a little bit because even as I continue to play a lot more best ball, we get to these middle rounds where receivers are meddling beyond the eighth round. And I start thinking who has upside in this range And this is not going to be a popular opinion. It's going to come out of nowhere. But I genuinely think Damian Harris is one of the best picks on the board right now. And 
as I continue to write my team previews again, which will be st start releasing on the site once veterans report to training camp in the end of the month. There's a real chance here, Paul said, that Damian Harris can lead the league in rushing touchdowns. Um, think about what this organization has said and emphasized throughout the offseason after Josh Allen entered his elbow and basically turned the entire division on its head over the second half of the season. Allen said his rushing, or Sean McDermott said Josh Allen's rushing is, quote, never going to completely go away, but it has to get where it's workable. And then Allen came out around the combine and told media, quote, he will have a have to transition from being a football player first and quarterback second to a QB first and football player second. And that's reminiscent of what's happened with the Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes because ever since Patrick Mahomes broke his kneecap in week seven of the 2019 season, the, the Kelsey brothers on their podcast even said it's been emphasized by Andy Reid to make sure Mahomes does not get carries inside the five. And that's why he has just six carries inside the five-yard line since he broke his kneecap. That's a span of four seasons, and they will not allow him to carry in that range because that's when the field is condensed and bodies are just crashing into one another in the line of scrimmage. And if that's going to be the case, if that's how we're going to keep Josh Allen healthy, is to still allow him to be a one-on-one -one talent between the 20s with his scrambling, but actually just take the ball out of his hands and keep him healthy inside the five-yard line, the ball's not going to James Cook. James Cook didn't get a single carry inside the five-yard line last year, whereas we are just one year removed from Damon Harris registering 15 touchdowns. It's going to go to him, the big-body bulldozer instead. And if we can get that kind of touchdown upside, I understand Cook will still probably be primarily honed in on in the passing game, and that's not going to be Harris's role. But we still want the touchdown scores, especially when it comes to half PPR leagues like that. So I'm all in on Harris in that 10- to 12-round range this year. I think your the your logic is strong. Uh, I think, but I think the I think the um, the way you feel about Damian Harris has has got to be a function of what you feel about James Cook, and how many of those carries between the twenties is he going to get versus Harris? Is Harris just going to be the goal line back, or is he going to be the primary between the tackles guy? Uh, and is you know is James Cook going to play a lot? Uh, so that's that's the question. You look at his. Uh, Cook season last year, 89 carries for 507 yards, two touchdowns, 5.7 yards per attempt. So that's you know pretty healthy uh, efficiency there. Zach Moss was still there for five games, uh, but it was you know Devin Singletary for 107, 177 carries for 819 yards and five touchdowns. So if you think that Harris is going to take over Devin Singletary's rushing, all of it, uh, and Cook if he sees more touches than the, you know, the 90 carries, he sees it in the, as a receiver because Singletary caught 38 passes cook caught 21. So if you get, if you get cooked to 40 or 50 catches and Harris has 10 or 15 or maybe 10 or 20, but he's getting all the goal line work, then he's certainly going to pay dividends. If they do in fact back off Josh Allen at the goal line, I've got him projected for 4.5 rushing touchdowns. I believe he's been at seven, six or seven plus the last three years. Uh, so I am, I'm seeing the same things, the same news reports saying that he's going to, to rush the ball a little bit less. To provide context to your point as well, Zach Moss was healthy scratch, then traded, and then Buffalo played 13 games without him. So James Cook had his opportunity last year with only Devin Singletary in the way, a player they had no issue in re-signing. But James Cook only out-touched Devin Singletary and three of 13 games the rest of the way.
They do not care about James Cook being a primary ball carrier in this backfield. And thus, I'm trying to get away from him. As Jason points in in the chat as well, I'm actually not ruling that out. But if Damon Harris were shockingly cut, and I, I still think it would be a shocking turn of events, that just means they have that much more confidence in Latavius Murray, not James Cook. Latavius Murray, of course, who pulled the rug out from under us, even though we were on top of him in the waiver wire, um, by actually becoming a relevant back in fantasy football. So that's the role, at least, I want everyone to watch out for rather than James Cook's. Your next flag plant. Yeah, and I was going to talk about Tyler Lockett here, but I talk. I feel like I talk about Tyler Lockett too much. Uh, over, you know, especially... pre-show, when you mentioned Tyler Lockett to me too behind the scenes, I thought, I've already said my Tyler Lockett stats on this very show like three times this offseason. I can't keep yeah. recycling them. I, I really want our subscribers to draft Tyler Lockett. Wide receiver 33 off the board. But I'm, I'm not going to talk about him right now. I'm going to talk about Deontay Johnson instead because I don't think he's getting enough uh, love right now. Uh, in terms of you know, his ADP, I think is wide receiver 30, uh, 31, something like that. I, I didn't check underdog, but it's, it's way down there and he had no touchdowns on 147 targets. So I just, yesterday I pulled a, a stat cause I was curious and I, I looked at all the receivers who saw between 142 and 152 targets since 2010. And how many touchdowns did they have on average? It was 7.26 touchdowns uh on average so if he had just been average in the touchdown department he he would have you know if he had just caught five he would have finished wide receiver 22 instead of wide receiver 35 his his career to date touchdown to target rate you know before last season was 4.9 percent if you apply that to his 147 targets it comes up to the same number 7.26 touchdowns uh, and he would have finished uh, as the fantasy wide receiver 19 last year. So I think the whole context of the is his touchdowns are not sticky. Um, and when you're a player that sees this much volume, you are going to, you know, start seeing touchdowns. And I think just looking at the averages from the last, you know, 50 players that that, that saw that many t- uh, targets and his target, his typical target rate, it really comes down to Kenny Pickett. Now, is he going to be better? than what he was last year. I looked at his college stats. He was above average in terms of the rookies coming in, in terms of his touchdown rate. So I think I think he just had a bad year. He should bounce back. The passing game should bounce back. And uh, Deontay Johnson will be a primary beneficiary given his uh, role in that offense. I'll go be- back even further just to add to your point because 833, if you can wrap your head around this one, 833 wide receivers have seen at least 110 targets in the Super Bowl era. So a span of 50 plus years and Deontay Johnson last year was the only one of those 833 to not score a single touchdown. Now regression entails even one touchdown, right? Like one touchdown would then be regression at the same time though. I'm trying to bet on Pittsburgh's passing offense. And that includes Kenny Pickett, regardless of what I think of him as a player on the field, because Pittsburgh's 42.8% rate of passing touchdowns last year was also the fifth lowest mark of the last decade, something we are also expecting to increase because the four offenses prior to Pittsburgh's last year that did the same uh, less than 43% rate bounced back and averaged an increase of 22.7% the next year. And so that's kind of the the rates and the bumps I'm looking at for Pittsburgh's passing offense. Thus, I want to be on top of Deontay Johnson for sure in that wide receiver two range. 
Yeah, I think he, I, I would like to come out of my drafts with Terry McLaurin, Tyler Lockett, Deontay Johnson as my middle round guys, sprinkle in a, a stud tight end and a couple of good running backs and maybe a stud quarterback and you're, you're good to go. And finally, because we've been doing this so long, I know how single quarterback redraft leagues work. And that is basically you draft Travis Kelsey or you wait and get one starter. Don't draft a backup that either you have confidence in because they will have an every down role or they have a good week one matchup. And then you just match tight end from there since it's a streaming position on a onesie spot. And if that's the case, if we're waiting for the very last round to draft our tight end in our home leagues, I think Hunter Henry is a really good option to lean on. Last year, he was the tight end 27 and points per game. But we saw that regression coming. He was the tight end 13 in points per game the year prior because he scored a career-high nine touchdowns. But also, those career-high nine touchdowns came on only 40 catches over the second half of the season. Like, it was such a small, finite stretch that was not sustainable. And we knew that. Thus, we weren't drafting him last year as a touchdown or bust option. But at least this year, we know that he's only one year removed from those stats. And he tied for the team lead in red zone targets with Jacoby Myers, who is no longer on this offense. Matt Patricia also no longer behind that laminated play calling sheet as one of the worst offensive coordinators in the entire league. We're instead getting at least the news out of OTAs is 12 personnel. So two wide receivers and two tight ends, Mike Jasicki being the other one on the field at all times. And Jasicki hasn't proven he can separate at any point. So I'd rather just go for the touchdown or bust option and in terms of getting a starter for week one, the Patriots open open against the Eagles, who are just going to drown them in points. They're going to have to throw a lot. So I'm starting with Hunter Henry in the very last round. I like it. Uh, Hunter Henry has always been kind of underrated as a uh, pass catcher, and uh, he's had his moments. Uh, I would also add, as far as a last-round guy that's interesting, and this is not my flag plant, but uh, Jake Ferguson for the Cowboys. I think everybody's confused about the pecking order right now. Uh I think they drafted, but he missed all of OTAs. And uh, George Kittle said that uh, named Jake Ferguson as one of his three up-and-coming tight ends that are going to be next at the position. So he's an interesting player, last round, always available. Uh, but my guy, and I'm kind of a value hound when it comes to this, and I, you know, I'm typically going early tight end, but if I don't, if I get shut out on Kelsey, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, et cetera, I am, I'm going to target Tyler Higby and just have baseline uh, production at the you know a position and he's probably going uh later than 12 at the position i'm sure of it uh let's see higby is going 15 now so he's moved up a little bit i think in recent uh weeks but you know i saw 108 targets last year uh 72 catches for 620 yards three touchdowns he had five touchdowns in each of the previous two seasons uh obviously that passing attack was hurt by you know the absence of matthew stafford uh, and Cooper Cup uh, last year, but both are back. Really, other than Cooper Cup, no competition for targets for him. I think he's going to see another 100-plus targets in this offense. And, you know, f- at the cost of a 12th-round pick or whatever it, it, he is, he is 12th-round pick, 144 off the board. Uh, you can get a, a player who has top 10. He's, he's, you know, with 110, 108 targets, you're, you're likely to get top 10 numbers uh, out of your tight end. And I think, you know, with Stafford there back, uh, the touchdowns are going to increase. And I think uh, Higby will get back to that five plus touchdown uh, rate that he was at the last two years. 
I have some more, but with my annual targets and fade pieces coming out at the end of the month, I will save them for everyone else behind the scenes. What about you? Anyone else you want to touch on? Since I know you brought to the table, as you mentioned, 16 different players. Well, I think, you know, tight end, I don't, you know, I am such an early tight end guy, but there are a couple of really appealing breakout types and uh chig Okonkwo, uh for the titans is one he led the league in uh, or led tight ends in yards per route run last year didn't see a ton of volume but really had a pretty good rookie season all things considered uh not a lot of target competition there right now although deandre hopkins might be in there and that would that would change the thing you know change things a little bit there and then greg dulcich uh, you know he was on kind of on the hot seat you weren't sure if sean payton was going to come in and like him but you know, you could see the the comments about him turning as the, the OTAs uh, went on and uh, Peyton could see what Dolchich uh, can do. And obviously Peyton has a long history of very productive tight ends, not just Jimmy Graham, but Jared Cook, et cetera. So um, Dolchich to tight end 13, second, second season. He, he had a good rookie year too, you know, had some injuries, uh, but he's got a lot of talent and I think he'll be a, a breakout candidate as well. I was out on Dulcich initially knowing that Peyton sent two draft picks during draft weekend for his guy, Adam Troutman. But then post-OTAs, Peyton came out and understood Dulcich's talent. He even called him, the quote is, quote, the joker player for us is not a receiver, Peyton said. It's either a running back or a tight end with exceptional ball skills, and then you can work matchups. We've had that at the running back spot, Reggie Bush was the Joker, Darren Sproles, and Alvin Kamara. Those were all unique players, not just in the running game, but they had passing game skill sets that allowed you to do multiple things. And so it seems like even if Dulcich is not lined up in like the slot, for instance, he's still a part of the offense. They're building packages around him to keep him on the field in intricate ways. And that's what I want for my middle round tight end. So I agree with you. Dulcich is someone we should definitely be on top of. Yeah, he's pick 133. If you don't get a, you know, if you want a tight end two with upside, uh, or you waited on tight end and you you know, want to grab a couple of upside guys, you could grab a Higby and, and Dulcich or a Okonkwo and Dulcich or, you know, two of the three. The other thing, I have another quote from Peyton quote, I think his menu is going to be lengthy in the passing game. I think that's music to music to our ears. You just said everything I wanted to say in one sentence. So yes, good job. Uh, yeah, I mentioned Jared Cook, 500 yards, 700 yards with with uh, Peyton. Kobe Fleener, 631 yards with with Peyton. Ben Watson, 74 for 825 and six with Sean Payton. Of course, Jimmy Graham, 85 for 889 and 10 touchdowns uh, with Sean Payton. So uh, he's he's kind of a tight end whisperer. So let's let's see if uh, Dolchich can capitalize on that. What else do you have? currently running on the site for everyone. I'm rolling out my draft notes and uh, I'll be putting together by the end of the month, my 99 stats article, although we might break oh. it up into multiple articles, but that's coming out by the end of the month. And then I started on my uh, player sleepers and values uh, articles in August. And again, remember you can join us with a new subscription to vivid picks and then get any sub you want at four, for just $5 ahead of the waterfall that's about to happen and fantasy football content. We'll be back, of course, next week with one more show grasping for straws until we actually get players on the field. So until then, remember, be a little bit kind of what's required. Talk to you then.